Today, since we're doing a lot of worship music time, we figured it would be best not to have a sermon. And so, um, I always like to hear what God's doing in our family, what, he, what He's done in your lives. And so, I invited uh, one of our fairly newer families, the Pikes, to come on up uh, and share uh, their God story and what God has done. This is uh, Daniel Pike. Everyone say, good morning, Daniel. It's like a class, right? Good morning, Mr. Daniel. All right, that's for you. And I even brought you a chair. So, um, but, so, you know, when Max and I were planning out this time, oh, and by the way, in case you didn't know, the Vanderpools are back. Max is here. So, yay, our fearless leader. <laughs> Everyone looked busy. Yeah, it's not going to be as much fun now. No. <laughs> Last week was it. We thought we had one more week. Uh, but uh, when we were planning this out, their time away, uh, we were talking about things going on in, in, in your all's lives and who, and, and he immediately said, well, have you heard the Pike story? And I go, no, you mean the people that sell me uh, chicken and beef and stuff? I haven't got any beef, by the way. That's a little plug, don't forget that. Uh, it's an important thing. I mean, you know, I've had the pork, had the chicken, it's all good, uh, but I'm a beef man. I, okay, going, setting the stage for beef. I mean, come on, you, know, you don't get a body like this without eating meat. Uh, so he said that you guys have quite this uh, story, and he even prompts me. He's like, "Well, just ask him that you know to maybe start with this whole thing about uh, that you and Noah have some similarities." And so that's what I'll leave with. Uh, lead with, I guess you know you and Noah have some similarities, and I presume it's not that you built an ark. <laughs> um, yeah. So Isaiah kind of asked me a, a couple weeks ago if if um, I'd be willing to talk about kind of my God story and things like that. And I was like, well, which one, you know? Because <laughs> um, God's done some really major things in my life. I can, I can point to like five different things that most people would consider huge for God to have done in someone's life. Um, the one Isaiah's talking about is uh, just a couple years ago, we actually went through a, a flood um, that destroyed everything we own and really kind of messed up our life. And, and, um, and God brought us out of it and brought us a lot of new opportunities right away and, and did a lot of cool things. But that's actually not what I was going to talk about this morning. Well, lead away. You have a mic. I can't stop you, so <laughs> go where you want. That's why, that's why I demanded a mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you asked for a mic, and you asked for peanut M&Ms, but only the yellow-covered one. So we got that's them right. in the green room waiting for you. <laughs> um, but I'm actually going to talk about, you know, when the Lord's done a lot of really cool things in your life and... and um, touched you in amazing ways one of the things at least for me that he's when I've talked to him about after the fact and, and prayed about it and like Lord what really happened there and what was going on and, and it was just incredible what you did and he's always said to me you know I want you to be willing to share that with people like that's not just for you that's going to touch other people's lives like in that moment it touched people's lives but but you know when I do things it touches other people's lives and so um at that time, I was not good at sharing with people, especially not uh, talking in front of groups. And um, I've worked on that a little bit, but, uh, but uh, no. So I, I made a commitment that I would be happy to share those stories and that I would, um, you know, if people ask me, like, hey, what's God done in your life? Hey, will you talk to people? That I would, I would do it, that I would talk with people or in front of people or whatever and be willing to share some of the stories. Um, so the story I'm going to share today is one of my most personal ones about my son, Ezekiel, which I'm sure most of you guys have seen running around here. Now, he goes by Zeke around he here. He goes though, by right? Zeke. That's so, right. Because yeah. we keep saying he's going to become like a 300-pound linebacker. But, 
<laughs> There's hope. Um, but uh, I'm going to backtrack a little bit and just give a little bit of background story. It'll come into the story later and make sense. So, um, so about uh, seven and a half years ago, um, no, I guess uh, over eight years ago now, I had uh, joined the military. And so uh, me and Kristen had been married for a while. She had just finished her degree. Um, I'd have been approached by the military. Um, my father was in the military too, and I have other uh, relatives in. And so I took their test, and they said, "Oh, you can, you qualify for every job we have. Like whatever, whatever you want to do." And so I looked through some of their stuff, and um, their intelligence analyst program seemed pretty interesting. So, um, but you know, we were Kristen had just finished college, and we were talking about, you know, what is the next stage? What does God really have for us? And I was praying about it. And, you know, um, we really wanted to start a family. We really wanted to have kids and, and move in that direction. And I said, well, Lord, does the military really fit? And, and all that. And the Lord said really clearly to me, he said, yes, you know, um, I want you to join the military. And that's going to take care of the health care for you to have a child. And I thought, okay, great. Like, that's a really clear answer. I was like, I need health care to have a kid. Like, that can be expensive. And, and uh, so I was like, okay, you know, we'll do that. And um, so I joined the military. And, um, you know, I got to basic training, and I was going through basic training, and, and every once in a while they give you a phone call. They're scarce. <laughs> and, um, and I called and uh, talked to Kristen, and she said, you know, I'm pregnant. And I said, oh, okay, I'm in basic training. My wife's pregnant. Um, and I thought, great, you know, this is really clear. Like the Lord said, join the military, so you'll get health care, it'll take care of it. I join, my wife's pregnant, I've got health care now, great. You know, sometimes you just think, oh, the Lord's just laying it out clearly, it's all going to be really simple and easy. And it wasn't simple and easy. Um, we didn't have that baby. Uh, Kristen had a miscarriage um, pretty far along, and we discovered then that... Um, we had, um, you know, re reproductive issues and things, and that Kristen, um, you know, wasn't able to have a baby. Like when we started going to the doctors and things, they said, "No, she can't. She can't have a baby." We had, um, I guess, uh, five miscarriages before they had really uh, figured out and just said, "No, that can't. It's not working," or, or anything. Um, so, so years later, um, we had already had. Uh, multiple miscarriages and and the same thing would happen every time we'd get to a certain number of weeks um, Kristen would start to um, have bleeding and it would lead to um, you know that would happen for for a night and then then she would miscarry the next day and then something went on and every time it happened you know we pray like Lord please if we just keep this baby we know you said we could have a family and we could have kids and we're not having a family, not having kids, so that really clear, nice, easy path that you thought God was laying out, um, it wasn't there. And I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. And, uh, and uh, so fast forward, it's several years in the future, and I, you know, I've, I've gone through my training. I went through um, language school out in California, went through analyst training program, um, the military decided not to put me with the military. Instead, they sent me to an NSA facility down in Texas um, to work intelligence. So I'm working intelligence and meeting some cool people and, um, and, you know, getting some ministry opportunities and things with people at work that, you know, are very closed out to the outside world. When you work in a windowless building, it's hard for people to get to you to minister. <laughs> um, 
And so I had one guy at work and he had come into my section and um, so we were working together and I was helping train him. And, um, you know, I talked to him a little bit about God and I said, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, well, I haven't been to church since I turned 17 and could leave the home. And he's like, I never plan on setting foot in, in doors of church again. Like, it's, it's awful. And, you know, he told me some of the experience and everything. But really just, I mean, he had been turned away from God so hard he didn't ever want anything to do with, with church or religion or or spirituality or anything. I said, okay. Um, but we talked, and we had, we had started becoming friends, and, and um, we were becoming, you know, we are getting to know each other, and, and uh, we were hanging out some, and, yeah, we were getting to be good friends. And I was like, you know, I really feel like the Lord wants to work in this guy's life. <laughs> um, and then the Lord asked me to do something crazy, <laughs> um, or at least that made me seem extremely crazy, and I'm dead serious, so... I really feel like whenever you talk about, oh, you need to spend time praying every day and need to spend time reading the Bible and need to spend time with the Lord, that so much of that is about getting in a place that when you hear the Lord speak and he tells you to do something crazy, that you'll be willing to do it. Because otherwise, you're just like, no, that's crazy. That didn't come from the Lord, you know. Um, but if you know you're hearing from him pretty regularly or easily, like you, you're willing to step out on the limb. So anyway... Kristen was pregnant again. We got to the same number of weeks, and she started bleeding. And it was the exact same as, as it had been every other time for a miscarriage. And we started praying. We're like, Lord, you know, at this point, like, it's hard to continue praying every time when every time you lose the baby, and, and they say there's nothing you can do. And uh, I said, Lord, you know, we're just praying. And he said, no, this baby's, um, you're not going to have a miscarriage. You're not going to have a miscarriage right now. And we're, we're having a miscarriage. I mean, she's bleeding. She, you know, um, from everything we've read, by the time you get to the bleeding, you've literally already lost the baby. Um, but no, she's bleeding, and, and we're going through the process. And he says, you're not going to have a miscarriage. And we're like, okay, thank you, Lord. You know, like, we'll just trust you. And um, he said, but I want you to do something. I said, okay. He said, I want you to call your friend, Kyle, you know, the one that doesn't believe in God. And I want you to tell him exactly what's happening. Tell him about your other miscarriages. Tell him you're going through a miscarriage right this second, like this night, and that God, and that I told you, you know, you're not going to have a miscarriage. Um, yeah. I mean, it's clear as anything. Like, that's what he wanted me to do. And I sat, I mean, I sat there with the phone in my hand, like, you know, struggling for like five minutes just thinking, I mean, he is going to think I'm crazy. Like, what is this person going to think about me? Like, I have to work with him. And, you know, things start going through your mind. Like, when, when Satan shows up in doubts and everything, you think, he's going to think I'm crazy, and we've already lost this baby, and I'm going to lose another baby, and everyone's going to think I'm crazy, and this is horrible. You know, like, why? <laughs> um, but I, I did it. I decided, you know, I was like, nothing's different here. But what is different is the Lord told us this baby that we wouldn't have a miscarriage. And he hadn't said that on any of the other ones. And I was like, okay. And I called my friend and my hand was shaking. And I told him, I was like, you know, um, hey, Kyle, you know how Kristen's had these other miscarriages? And he had heard a little bit about that. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I said, well, we were pregnant again. And we're to the same point in the pregnancy again. And and Kristen's bleeding, and we're going through a miscarriage right now. And he's just like, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. I said, yeah, but we were praying, and the Lord said we're not going to have a miscarriage. 
like that the baby's going to be fine and we're not going to have a miscarriage right now. And it's the tone of his voice changed. He said, oh, okay, I'll talk to you later. And I hung up the phone. He thought I was insane. You know, with good reason. Like, he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't want anything to do with religion. And his friend calls him, and they're having a miscarriage. And, and it's crazy. Um, um, anyway, we did not have a miscarriage that night. Um, the bleeding stopped. Um, and that was it. And we went on with the pregnancy and the bleeding. Um, yeah, we everything was the same except that we didn't have a miscarriage and, and you know no one could tell us why that was or what different happened except you know that God told us we wouldn't and my friend thinks so I'm crazy okay <laughs> um, so things were a little strange at work for a couple of days but after that it's just back to normal like hey we didn't have a miscarriage and he's like oh well that's great you know and he's got in the back of his mind like he did call me and tell me that but whatever like um, and uh, you know so we go on with the pregnancy and um, and we started going to, um, we found some um, midwives that came really highly recommended in the area. And um, when we went in to see them, they immediately did some, some blood work and found out um, some of the hormone issues that Kristen was having that, were causing, that was causing her to have miscarriages. And so they said, well, it's really far along in the pregnancy to start treating it. Um, so it could go either way. Like if you started earlier, you know, you have a much better chance of just having a good pregnancy. But, but we'll start treating it now, and hopefully that will help you from, from having a miscarriage. And it's something other doctors have missed and, and that sort of thing because the military health care system you can get iffy results. Um, so, um, but the thing about midwives are, so we started doing that immediately a bunch of our levels came back to normal immediately the pregnancy started to stabilize and be a lot better and you know when we go to the normal doctor they'd be like it's not good at all and we go to them and they'd say oh it's you know um, it's better the problem with that is it's an outside healthcare source so you got to pay out of pocket and it was a you know we we're paying this out of pocket and it was a pretty substantial good amount of money and and I'm like Lord you know I don't understand I remember really clearly you said you know you're going to join the military and that's going to take care of your health care costs to have a family and um and again there are so many things that he told me and i know i heard it clearly and i know you know it was from him but um but then the path just ended up so different and so many things at different stops along the way i was like well how does this possibly tie in how does that possibly bear true with what you were saying in the past and um, so we're pay for the midwives and, and get the hormone levels and the pregnancy goes really well, like goes much longer than all of our, you know, blows past the different weeks that we had always had problems with before. Um, but, you know, we still had had the hormone issues up front and different things. Um, so one night or one morning, I should say, I got up at, you know, whatever, 4.30 in the morning or whatever crazy time I was getting up at that point. And uh, was going to go to work, and Kristen said, "Well, I'm having, I'm having like cramps and all this stuff. I think I should go to the hospital." And I said, "Well, let me go do because we did exercise every morning in the military. Let me go run five miles, and I'll come back. <laughs> and and if you're still, you know, having trouble, we'll take you to the hospital." And um, and she was when I got back, and I said, "Okay, we'll take, we'll go." And we got in there, so we were um, 27 weeks pregnant at that point. Um, so that's like six months. 
and uh, we got in there and they said, you know, you're X amount dilated, you're having the baby right now. Um, like extremely premature, skipped the entire last um, trimester. And so, yeah, so we just kind of braced ourselves and, and got ready to, you know, they talked to us a little bit about what the NICU is like and what some things to expect and and that lots of babies that come out aren't breathing and lots of babies don't make it past the first day in this kind of state and you know 10 years ago a pregnancy like this you couldn't have a like a viable child um because the met the medicine wasn't there to even keep the baby alive long enough to do well and gain weight and everything but but now they've come a long way they did tell us the uh the biggest downside of all was that our baby was a white boy which is the worst statistical group to be in of any baby for, for being born early. <laughs> um, they call them wimpy boys. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, so we braced for that and, and, um, and went in and, and had this baby. And, and our baby, um, baby Ezekiel was, he was two pounds and two ounces. Um, so he's just a teeny, teeny little baby, and you know they got everything going. And um, to tell you how young he was when he was born, his eyes were still fused shut, like he didn't have a an open eyelid, um, as far as where he was at development or whatever. But and again, so we went through that, and and we had him in the room, and and his skin was so undeveloped, you weren't allowed to touch him. So we've got our baby in, in this incubator thing and they've got everything in the world hooked up to him and they say, well, you can't touch him, you know, so we're just like by his bedside praying and we're praying like, Lord, you know, um, can't believe some of this stuff that's, that's happening to us and, and, you know, why and that sort of thing. And he just um, really clearly again, you know, um, just to kind of reassure, reassure us, he said, he said, no, your baby's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. He's going to live and he's going to be perfectly healthy. And we're just like, well, not according to what any of these people just told us for the past three hours. They said it's just not possible. Like, the statistics are so low. Like, it's, it borders on impossibility that a baby born like this could be healthy. And, you know, they laid out for us the kind of the long-term things and what, what you could expect and what you couldn't expect. And, you know, perfect health was not something you could expect. It's just not something um, that comes out of this situation. But, um, but the Lord's like, no, your baby's going to be fine. It's going to be perfectly healthy. And, um, and, you know, he was doing, so, so we got him in there, you know, they're feeding him. It's a very hard situation emotional, emotionally. It's a lot to go through. Um, but we went through it, and he started growing, and he started doing better. He started gaining weight. You know, his skin developed. I remember the first day we were allowed to actually reach in and hold him. Um, you know, it took like a month. Um, and so we were just at the hospital every day. Luckily, they gave me leave, you know, from, from work to, to just be there. Um, so we were there, you know, 24 hours a day. And, um, and the baby was getting better and doing better, and he was growing, and he was getting bigger. And um, one of the things they have to do to, to keep babies going in that type of environment is they give them, they give them oxygen. And they have to give them artificially high levels of oxygen because when you're still in the in the womb, you would naturally be in a really oxygenated environment. But when you come out, you're back to normal oxygen, so they increase it. But one of the things that does is um, it reacts um, reacts with the baby's eyes because 
your eyes when you're a baby develop more quickly if they have too much oxygen so you get anyway it can lead to blindness um, by getting too much oxygen for too long when you're a baby when you're little like that so they were giving him this extra oxygen um, he was doing good and he was growing but they said well his eyes are are developing a little too, bit too fast all the little um, veins along the eyes and they said it's fine we just go in we'll do a simple procedure to burn some of those off and, and it'll be fine like you won't suffer from that or whatever so they did that procedure um, but to do it they had to intubate him which means they put him on a machine where it breathes for him and um, and you know they kind of knock him out to do the procedure um, so they put him on that the procedure went really well the issue was anytime you intubate or do stuff like that if there's any kind of bacteria or anything like that with his immune system um, it can really affect him. Well, there was. Um, he got sick um, within a couple days with um, pneumonia and MRSA and like a bunch of things. Lungs started filling with fluid. They had to come in an emergency and puncture it. All of a sudden, that oxygen level that was at 70% was going up to 72, 73, 74, 75, 80, 85, 90, 95. And um, you know, his lungs, which were already so underdeveloped to begin with, that's the biggest risk factor, were all of a sudden filling with fluids and fighting infection, and he couldn't, couldn't keep up. And uh, I asked the doctor, I said, you know, what happens when that oxygen gets to 100? Um, and they said, there's nothing we can do. There's no more oxygen you can give a baby, and if his lungs can't get enough out of that to live, he won't like that's it that's all we can do and um, then over the next couple of days he got worse and the oxygen went up to a hundred and they said well that's all that's all we can do and um, and the scariest part was when they started when they um, you know normally the doctors come around and do rounds in the morning and you can talk to them about how your baby's doing and um, they stopped coming to our baby and instead, the clergyman that was on staff at the hospital started coming by several times a day to talk to us. Um, I started having Kristen leave for several chunks of the day just so she didn't have to be around it, because every once in a while, it happened about three times during this period. Even with the oxygen turned up to full, his, his blood oxygenation level would drop to below dangerous levels, and they would have to run in and do it by hand, and and resuscitate him. I said, well, what just happened? He said, he crashed. I said, well, what'd you do? Well, it's like CPR on a little baby, and we brought him back. He said, well, what, what do you do if that doesn't work? They say there's nothing else. Um, you know, that, that's him dying. <laughs> and so, um, <sighs> so that's one of those times you cry out to God, and you say, God, you told me that he would be totally healthy and you told me that he would live, and he's dying. And the Lord said, no, he's going to live, and he's going to be totally healthy, and I'm doing something. And he told me, uh, he said, your friend from work, He's going to come visit. And he said, I want you to talk to him. 
I want you to tell him that I told you that your baby's going to live and he's going to be totally healthy. And people from work had known what was going on. They would come and, and visit some because they knew what was going on during this period and that, you know, I mean, we only had a few more days. Like, if he didn't turn around in the next day or two, there was, there was, there was nothing. And so he had come and visit, visited me. And, um, and, I, and, you know, the Lord had told me, like, tell him. Tell him that, you know, despite that your baby is sitting there dying and the doctors have given up on him and the clergyman's coming to visit you every day and they can't turn the oxygen up anymore, that I told you your baby's going to live. And, um, and, and that day my friend came and, and I just couldn't do it. I just thought, you know, I'm already, my baby is going to die my life, you know, all I wanted is a family, and I don't even think I can have a family, and the one time the pregnancy goes far enough to have a baby, you know, we can't make it through, um, and so he came, and like, I really felt like the Lord, like, talk to this guy, talk to this guy, and I was like, I just, I watched him get on the elevator and go away, and I was like, I, I, I was just drained at that point, and luckily, you know, um, my friend came back the next day <laughs> to visit again, or the next morning, and I talked to him in the hall, and, you know, he was comforting me and things, and I was just like, I was like, you know, um, well, you know what's going on, like, and he's like, yeah, I'm so sorry. I said, you know, God told me that, um, that Ezekiel's going to live, that he's not going to die. Not only is he going to live, he's going to have perfect health, which the perfect health thing was, I mean, you can't imagine how far gone that was at this point, like in the do for the doctors, and you know, it's just no, like he he's had this horrible path now, and it's not recoverable. Um, I told him, you know, the Lord said all this. You remember when I called you about the miscarriage? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, the Lord told me again that you know he's going to live and he's going to be perfectly healthy. And he said, and I said, you know, I know that the Lord's going to take care of of him and of our family, but I feel like he wants to do more through this, and I really feel like he's trying to touch your life, you know, and do something in your life, and he looked me dead in the eyes, and he said, Daniel, I know. He's like, the Lord's been, I mean, I've never felt like God's been talking to me or touching me or anything since I was a kid, and he's like, over this past week, like, the Lord's just been touching me, and the fact that you just said that to me right now, like, I know. And, um, and over the next couple days, the oxygen level just started to tick down. And his lungs started to work. And the fluid, you know, started to drain and didn't come back. And he, and he still had to fight off the infection. But, but things got better after that. And I, and I can't say that the whole rest of the hospital stay was just roses. But things improved. And there were gradual dips. And he kept improving. And, you know, after four months in intensive care, we got to bring home our little Ezekiel. <laughs> and... Um, well, and you'd seen him running around. And we've taken him, you know, at first, they're like, you got to bring him back to the doctor every week, then every month, then every three months, and blah, blah, blah. And the doctors all told us the same thing. You know, he doesn't have any residual health effects. Amen. Um, the worst you could possibly say he's got is that he wears a pair of glasses. <laughs> um, and so all of the lung issues and the health issues and the breathe, I mean, and we had other kids, we, we met a lot of other families in the NICU, and absolutely every single one of those played out that story that the doctor said about long-term issues, and, and Zeke was just perfectly healthy. And he's perfectly healthy. He's a wonderful little boy. Um, 
well, my friend from work, we became better friends. Well, all of a sudden, you know, he really wanted to start going to church. All of a sudden, he really wanted to start praying and reading his Bible. Well, now he's a, he's a deacon. <laughs> and, um, and he loves God, and, you know, and, and he moves back. Um, when he got out, he moved back to Wisconsin, which is where his family's from. And we still talk, obviously, and we're still great friends. And he, and he tells me, you know, when I talk to him on the phone, he's like, listen to what the Lord's doing in my life. He's doing such cool things. And he's always had a passion for teaching. And now he's teaching at-risk school children. And, you know, um, through him, like, the Lord's able to work in a lot of people's lives to, to touch people's lives that they didn't before. Um, yeah, that's one of my God stories. I got five. Five. Amen. <laughs> hey, Wow. <laughs> Five. So I, I do want to point out one thing that you said that I really found interesting was that you said that, you know, you read and you pray. Not so you, not because it's just what you need to do, but it's that way you are hearing from God on a continual basis. So when he asks you to do the crazy, you don't just put it away. You just don't set it aside and go, well, that's crazy. I mean, I'm sitting here. You know, I, I'm sitting here going, man, at some point in time, as your friend, I'd be like, I think you just need to tell God, I'm done. I'm not saying anymore, you know, you gave me this promise, and I'm just going to hold you to it. Why do you keep making me jump the hoops here, God? <laughs> uh, but the firm fact is, is that you kept hearing from him, and it comes out of this daily devotion to him and praying in that. And, uh, you know, and I really, you guys may not know, but the Pikes came to our church it was another neat God story because your wife had been praying, they'd, been, they'd moved back, and, and, and Kristen had been praying that, God, it, I want to plug into a church, and I want to be the church that you want me to plug into, and, and we'll plug in if someone invites us to lunch at the end of the, at, of the service. To their house for lunch. To their house for lunch. To their house for lunch. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, obviously now I can say it's the Pikes that get specific with God. Um, <laughs> I want, a health, I want a live baby and healthy that statistically is impossible because uh, that's where you operate, God, out here in the impossible. And so, it, you know, we do these little things called Oikos Meals at the Huber's uh, Casa. And Janice saw this new couple that had walked in on the very first time they were here and said, hey, I want you to come over to my house for lunch. And they knew, oh, well, we found our church. <laughs> that's exactly it. Yeah. And they've been here ever since. And it's, and it's neat, and it, it really is, is a neat story neat, not story, but it's just a neat, powerful testimony, and you have four more that you need to share with us, uh, but unfortunately, we don't have time today. No. Um, <laughs> I don't have the... <laughs> you don't have the, uh, the emotional... Yeah. Uh, that, and, you know, and, and we've heard stories, I mean, you, we've heard stories of other people who, who God has just touched these preemies, you know, and, and I have a wife who works in that industry, I mean, when you told me 27 weeks right now, I'm like, oh, I know the statistics, and so... Uh, what a neat God story in Zeke's. What a blessing. And not only, let's finish the story for those who may not know. Not only do you have Zeke, but. Yes, we have Tirza. We have another baby. So. Very healthy baby with a full-term healthy delivery. Full-term healthy delivery after how many times not and pe doctors telling you not. So, I mean. She's already got a good singing voice, too. I'm going to be recruiting her. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, it, these are the moments that I just sit back and I'm just so thankful to hear that God is working. He's out there. He's doing things in your lives. He's doing things, in, and he's doing things in the lives of the people you work with, you, and, you, and we don't even know it. 
And it's just a matter of just being open to hear him and his leading and his prodding. And it comes through prayer and, and scripture. And uh, it's, it's, it's what we should be doing day in and day out. And so thank you, Daniel, for, I mean, opening up and sharing that with us.